Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. Today I'm with Megan Harmon, Santa Barbara City Council member. And I want to dive right in and talk to Megan about what's happening to the city of Santa Barbara with COVID-19. Santa Barbara was already facing a difficult challenge downtown even before all of this started. And now everything is so much worse. Businesses are closed and we don't know when we're going to be able to reopen. Uh, Megan, welcome to the show. And I wanted to just sort of get your thoughts on how is the city dealing with all this? Yeah, Josh, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a really, really important conversation to have, but it's also a really difficult one in this moment. And that's for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, the obvious, this is an incredibly unique, challenging, I mean, all of those horrible, all the adjectives you can think of, that's what this moment is. But the real problem is that we don't know what the impact is going to be. I mean, and I think that's kind of a reality that we're all grappling with, is I can't tell you what things are going to look like two months from now or three months from now. And so that makes kind of figuring out next steps or where do we go from here even more challenging. Um, and it's something that keeps me up at night because I don't know the scale of this disaster and I don't think anyone does. But... I think there's no doubt that this will completely change the landscape of business in the city of Santa Barbara, at least in the short term. And if I was a betting woman, I would say for the next couple of years, for sure. The impacts for business, small business in particular, of having to close their doors for even the last, what, it's been five weeks, about four weeks? Four weeks, um, yeah. Four weeks are just... I, Profound. I mean, I hear from business owners almost every day who just kind of fill me in about the challenges in making rent, um, figuring out to do what to do with their stock, or you know, saying I had to let folks go, and, and that's hugely painful. Small businesses often run like families, as you know. Um, so that's been really hard, and I I don't know what State Street's going to look like, for example, when things open back up again. It's it's going to be a real a real challenge for us. What are some of the things the city can do right now to help businesses that are, they have no way anymore to have any kind of income? What can the city do? Well, one of the big things we've already done, and I'm really, really proud and grateful that my colleagues move forward with it, and that's the eviction moratorium. And of course, it became a statewide moratorium shortly thereafter, but it's a really important step. And speaking particularly about businesses, you know, it's one of those things often we talk about eviction protection purely in the context of our residential tenant landlord relationships. But in this moment, it was equally important for a small business who is trying to figure out how they can move forward and, you know, pay all of the bills that are coming due. And that just, I think, pressed pause for folks and also gave business owners some leverage to come to the table with their landlords and for both parties to, in good faith, negotiate with one another, um, which, to be honest, I've heard has happened quite a bit. And I'm mm. really grateful for particularly the downtown landlords who have been really active in doing that. And then the other thing, and this is a little bit of a silver lining, and I, I'm really loath to say that there's any silver lining in this situation um, because so many people are suffering and so many people will continue to suffer, but um, it's just who I am always to look for the bright side. And I think if there is one for the city of Santa Barbara where business is concerned, is we might have this moment when things ease up with the pandemic a little bit to say, hey, we're gonna try new things. Yeah. We're gonna be creative. We're gonna actually think about 
what the future of our city is going to look like. And we're going to move forward in a really meaningful, proactive way. Um, otherwise, we're going to just die out. And I'm sensing that from people, that there's a willingness and an understanding that we're going to have to move forward with policies in a, a really rapid, creative, engaged way. And you know how things go in Santa Barbara. Sometimes it's slow and there's lots of pushback and there's lots of wrangling of hands or gnashing of teeth or whatever that phrase is. And I, I think people are sensing and understanding that this is just a disaster of a scale and scope that our local business truly has never seen. And that if we want to recover from it, we're going to have to make use of this moment to move ourselves forward. So that's what I'm excited about. And just one thing I'll throw out that I think the city particularly should do. Um, I don't know if you remember back, feels like a lifetime ago. I think it was in the fall, we had some straw votes on these AUD amendments that were supposed yeah. to make the AUD program work better. A lot of them had to do with our downtown, what's happening in the CBD and efforts to try to facilitate development downtown. At the time we said, all right, you know, for ease of process and because it just makes good logical sense, bring all of these amendments back at once and it'll take, you know, 16 months or however long it takes, but bring everything back as a package and let's not do it piecemeal. And I, I was supportive of that approach. I mean, I think whenever we can do something logically, it's better for business. Mm -hmm. But I think we're in a moment now where we really, really need to fast track those amendments that are specifically related to facilitating and increasing development in our downtown core. So that's changing parking requirements, there's a um, height increase, there's um, increasing the overlay, so the increasing the density in the CBD. You know, those things we were kind of waiting on so that all the other pieces, some required traffic studies or things that were just longer by necessity, I think those particular downtown development pieces need to be fast-tracked and we need to do it right away. And part of why I think it's important is because once we come out of this pandemic, you know, I'm looking at, you know, money's really cheap right now. Yeah. So if you want to borrow money and you're a developer and you have the capacity to do that, there could be this really shining moment for you to get money really inexpensively. People will want to get back to work and labor may be available in a way that it wasn't available before this pandemic. We could potentially align all the stars to facilitate meaningful development downtown in a way that works for our city that we couldn't have done three or four months ago. So I just want to set the stage in the event that that can happen. And I don't know, you know, I'm not, I can't predict the future. I don't know if people will want to build housing downtown or renovate the stores. I can't tell you what's going to be in their interest, but I want to set the stage so that if everything happens to come together, like I think there's a chance it might, People can move forward from day one, and we don't have to wait for the wheels of bureaucracy to turn for three, six, eight months, at which point, you know, the interest rate has shot through the roof or whatever, and, and I don't want to miss that. And I think we have to be ready to take advantage of whatever we can on behalf of our city and be ready to be really nimble about what that is. And as you know, government's not known for being nimble, but we're going to do our best. And I think that's what we can do for our local business is a willingness to see the whole board and to move forward quickly and creatively in response to what we see actually happening on the ground. You've had a kind of a whirlwind first year, right? <laughs> so you were appointed and you kind of came out of nowhere. I don't mean that in a negative way, but 
there were many people who had applied for that position and some people were considered front runners and everybody had their day right there to do an interview. And I remember I was there and I was thinking, wow, I'm totally wrong here. This person might actually get it because you interviewed so well oh, and it was you. so impactful. And now here you are, obviously nobody could expect this. Tell me about your first year in office. It's a little more than that, it's about 15 months yeah. now. What, what has it been like to be on the council? How's it, how's it been different than what you've expected? It's really, it's been amazing. And I think a lot of people roll their eyes when I say it's it's one of the most incredible experiences I've had as an adult, certainly, but I mean it. Um, the opportunity to push forward policies and to take votes on things that I, you know, I walk down the street after I leave these meetings and I think, oh my God, that vote I took is going, going to impact these people. You know, I mean, it's such a one-to-one sort of correlation and that's part of what's so special about this job in particular versus any other elected office any other I mean you make decisions on a Tuesday and you can influence your neighbors you do influence your neighbors lives you know the next week for better or worse right so it's a big it's a big big responsibility that I take very seriously um it's been, I would say, about as much work as I anticipated. Um, I don't think that I had blinders on going into it. I'm also a workaholic by nature, so it, it was always going to be a huge amount of work because that's just the way that I am. I like it. I thrive on that. And I've met some really cool people. You know, I mean, really, really wonderful, interesting, smart people who I often disagree with. I mean, I've had, even sitting here at this table, some really heated discussions that I left just thinking, wow, you really helped me to expand my perspective and or expand my empathy or whatever it is, even if I don't end up agreeing. And that's to the credit of our city's residents, I think, that people still come to City Hall to have those conversations. Yeah. And I don't know how many cities that's true in. And it's it's a really beautiful thing. Uh, we, we haven't seen a lot of young people on the city council, young people with children. District elections has, has made it possible for people to earn some income in City Hall and raise families. How are you balancing that? Not always well, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and, and by the way, I do think it's important, especially moms who hold higher profile positions or are active in the workplace, that they are honest about the challenges. I think a lot of people you know, want to hear from me, oh, it's, it works out and it's so great and it's, everything's roses. And you know what? Some days are freaking awesome and everything works perfectly. But as many days as are awesome are just incredibly difficult and all over the place. And sometimes I miss bedtime and that's hard for me. And I have to spend a lot more time on my phone because I do communicate with constituents all day, every day. And, and so that's been, it's hard to find a balance, but it's hard for any parent to find a balance with anything. I'm incredibly blessed to have a partner who is a truly equal partner in all areas of our lives. And he has been living out his feminism the last year in a very serious way. But he believes in... How many nights a week does he give the bath? That's what I want to know. Only on Tuesday. Okay, (laughs) I'm the bath. And here's the thing. On weekends, I'm like, no, it's my turn. You know? Um, So, no, but he's... He is as committed to this city as I am. And we have some of the same passions, particularly when it comes to policy. So... That makes my life a lot easier to have a partner who believes as much as I do in the work that I'm doing. I 
I couldn't do it without that. Um, but I will say, I mean, I, I'm not, I think it's, I really do think it's important that we acknowledge that it's, it's hard. To, it's impossible to do it all. And it's okay if we don't always do it all and that sometimes certain things give. And I, I have to believe, and I really do feel this way, that for as much as I may miss Tuesday nights with my daughter, you know, I bring her to meetings with me or she sees me having an impact. And that's a lesson that I want to impart to her too. And, and those, that's a value that I believe in and that if my daughter were to take away from this experience that women can have an impact, that moms can, you know, drive policy, or that young people, younger people should have a voice in institutions that are traditionally more accessible only to those that are older or with more wealth. Those are lessons that I want her to learn. And so for every day that it's hard, that's also something that I kind of try to continually remind myself of. And, and I hope that she'll take away, though I always say she's going to end up either being president or hating government so yeah. much that she just runs in the other direction, you know, yeah. with two, like, politics nerds for parents. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. How about during COVID-19? How, how has that affected your home life in terms of child care or schooling or any of yeah. those factors? COVID-19 has been really hard in a lot of ways for everybody. And I, I just want to say before I launch into this tirade that I am so... I'm coming from a position of just utter privilege on this. And that does, I try to check myself when I get frustrated or when things feel overwhelming because I have a roof over my head. I have a partner who has flexibility. You know, I luckily have a job. My hours haven't been cut, you know, so we're making rent. Um, I, we have food on the table, things that my neighbors don't all have, you know, things that my constituents, many of them are struggling with. I just, you know, can sometimes take for granted. So I, I do think it's important that I acknowledge that privilege and I try to do it, but oh my gosh, it's freaking impossible. You know this. I mean, it's hard. You, when you and I were texting, you said, um, with the kids till four and then this, and that's so real. That's so our lives. And I'm like, okay, I'm on Mara duty until noon. Then Nick does noon to three. And then I do, you know, then hopefully she'll nap for two hours and then we'll go. So it, that's kind of, that part's been hard, and I think the other challenge, and this is something that I'm, I am on a personal mission to sort of fight against when it comes to parenthood, is this idea that every moment has to be joy-filled and every moment has to be directed towards some specific end. And I think my generation of parents in particular, you know, we kind of came up, I'm a, right in the middle of the millennial generation, and we're really the first generation of fully digital social media native types and that I'm seeing that influence our understanding of parenthood not always in a good way and that's been exacerbated during COVID-19. On the one hand we have connection with other parents and we can commiserate with other parents but then there's this thing where it's the presentation of parenthood. It's the we did this activity and we had a themed day and my daughter had no screen time today. And if yours has screen time, and there are moms like that and I am in awe of those people. There are parents like that and I'm in awe of them. But if that is not who you are as a parent or who I am as a parent, it, it shouldn't be a shameful thing or a guilt-inducing thing. And I'm not interested in curating my parenthood experience. And one of the challenges 
for my generation that I'm seeing. And we're all now kind of young parents. A lot of us have kids. That's where my generation has moved is our relationships are already mediated through social platforms. Mm -hmm. And then now parenthood is being mediated through that. And it's even more so right now when we can't go out and this is our only way to connect. Mm -hmm. And so I think it becomes this thing where you, it's like the aesthetic of parenting has become more valuable than the act of parenting itself. Or I worry that, that that's what can happen and that it leads to a lot of social isolation, which is sort of a very, very long-winded way of saying through all this connectedness, we can compete and present ourselves a certain way, and then all of a sudden you just feel even more alone than you did before. And I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that with friends. I'm seeing that on social media, and I, I think that's part of why I'm so insistent on sharing with people that it's okay if you don't have a theme activity today. Right. You know, it's really, really fine if you didn't have a good day. You know, I mean, if today was not the best day you ever had with your toddler, then, you know, amen, sister, me either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I'm, I'm, and I think especially for people who are in elected office, in positions of some authority, we are expected, I think, to present ourselves a certain way. And I, I really chafe against that and want people to know that it's just, it's not all sunshine and rays of light and, uh, it's okay that it isn't. How specifically has your life changed with your daughter in terms of, I assume she was going to preschool before and now she's at home with you? Or yeah. You guys are just juggling that? Or how do you handle your lessons or your activities? Or is there a lot of TV time here? Or how do you do that? Thank God for Disney Plus. No, <laughs> um, yeah, she was in preschool. And unfortunately, she had only just recently gotten off of a preschool list. So one of the challenges and you probably remember this from back in the day in Santa Barbara is there are wait lists like crazy and so me being the low-key parent that I am didn't think to get Mara on a um, daycare or a preschool list until she was like seven months old and I was going back to work full-time and they just laughed me out of the room at all of these preschools there were pregnant moms there to get on the list and I thought oh god I totally messed this one up so it wasn't until a little bit later in her life later as compared to many of her peers that she started at preschool so it's probably three and a half months ago that she had her first day and she freaking loved it. The kid loves preschool. She loves her friends. She's like, oh my gosh, people my age, adults, or not adults, you know, people who are my height. Um, So that's been hard. The preschool closed and I obviously fully support that decision. Um, They have done their best to provide us with activities and the structure of the day but I you know she's almost three she doesn't really I'm not helping her learn multiplication yeah. tables which yeah. is so great I have so much uh I, I mean I just really really respect the parents that are trying to help their kids and facilitate their schooling during this period while also working while also trying to keep their families healthy I mean one of the benefits that of Mara being two and a half, really, is that whatever, we just kind of went back to the way things were yeah. before. It's not as if she's going to be missing out on reading Love's Labor's Lost or some, you know, something, some curricular thing she's missing out on. What she's missing, though, is social interaction. Yeah. Um, and she's missing just the opportunity to run around. And we have a small house, we have an apartment, and we don't have a yard. So that's 
that's hard. That's what worries me is that she's not um, engaging with people her own age the way that she was. And I hope that she doesn't like FaceTime, you know, because mm-hmm. it's she, I think she thinks it's Uncanny Valley kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> thing. So she's not so, so into it. She's getting more used to it. But her dance class is virtual. But again, she's she's not so into the virtual dance class. But we're trying. We're making do. I mean, I one of the things that does worry me is that she is just young enough that I don't think she understands what's happening. I don't think she understands why she can't go to school. And I have struggled as a parent to figure out an age appropriate way to talk to her about what's happening um, and why it's happening and why we wear a mask. And I think one of the things that I have loved for my friends who have older children, I've seen them talk to their kids about how this is an opportunity it's an early opportunity it's come earlier in their lives than it does for most people but to make sacrifices for the greater good and that's what it means to be a citizen of the world and that's what being a good person is it's the willingness to sacrifice for others and to really see yourself as part of this effort to protect your neighbors and to put the needs of others above your own desire to go to prom or to you know do xyz and and to recognize that that's hard and to grieve and mourn that experience but then to find within yourself the resolve to say i am going to find the strength and stay home because i'm sacrificing for my neighbors and it's about something bigger than myself so i've loved seeing my friends with older kids have that type of communication with their children and it's it's really opened up i think some amazingly beautiful connections between parents and children that might not be there otherwise but my two and a half year old is not you know that she has a great vocabulary but I don't think she would get any of that and so I sometimes just worry what does she know and does she sense the stress that I have and the just constant conversations I'm having and the how long hours I'm pulling does she does she feel some unrest and how does she understand this moment and how can I reach her and make sure that, you know, her mental health is good? That's hard. I mean, that's hard with a two-year-old, you know, even with a six-year-old. Yeah. It's how do we reach them and understand where they are? Um, yeah, I think the hardest part is just routines and structure <laughs> and children really need structure. And then when you disrupt the structure that they have, it's hard to explain why. And so just like everybody, you have to learn to adjust yeah. on the fly and it's hard to reason with a child and say this thing that's happening now it's a once in a lifetime thing it's mm-hmm. like you just they don't understand that so yeah. just keeping them safe and structuring them as much as possible as much as anybody can be structured right now uh, is, so is key so i mentioned earlier you sort of came out of nowhere and that you were appointed what were you doing who was megan Harmon uh. before you decided to run for <laughs> For city council how long were you thinking about it or just how did you go from your life and how it was to being on the council so we were just talking about that thing before you have like the josh molina before kids yeah. and josh molina after kids you can't even remember it's yeah. like the bc whatever i <laughs> i that's me it's like megan Harmon before council who was that person and what did i do with myself life was so chill back then yeah. um no, I, I've always been interested in government. So I, I will not, you will never see me being one of those people that says, I never thought about 
about it ever. That's just not true. It's not true and nobody would believe it, you know? Um, certainly, I have always been interested in government in all its forms. Politics has been a passion of mine for a very long time. Service has been something that has driven me in every area of my life since as long as I can remember, but particularly through college and after college, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to be of service, however that looked. Um, for a long time, it was through my international work, and that was where my heart and energy and focus was. And then as I sort of, you know, matured, aged, I realized I want to have a family. I, you know, my need to build a community and that wasn't really feasible traveling from country to country and living in Afghanistan and living in Egypt that was not conducive to building something lasting in a family way and obviously I met my husband and he shared the same values as I did so that's sort of a long-winded way of saying how I came to be in this area um, and then it was just a matter of of getting to know my neighbors I mean I I didn't have any sort of plan to run for city council so it wasn't I wasn't targeting it I guess you could say but I I followed the news I mean I was really I was a pretty avid reader and and again you know my husband and I are big politics people we're big policy people and we always have been so it, it may sound weird that we were talking about what was happening at the Santa Barbara City Council being completely unconnected to it, but we were, mm. you know? Um, so for me, it wasn't that out of left field in the sense that I'd, I'd been following it closely and had ideas and had things that I felt could be done better or things that I just wanted to say, a perspective that I wanted to bring. And then, I don't know, I'm just one of those people. I thought, well, this opportunity is here. When will this happen again? I might as well just say what it is I want to say and see what happens. Um, so in that sense, it was random, I guess. But You've been pretty impactful the first year. What have been some of the challenges? Most people don't understand how incredibly difficult and challenging it is to move the needle on anything because you're part of this huge apparatus. What are some of, your, some of the challenges you've experienced in the last year? Uh, well, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, my biggest challenge over the last year, I think, still remains my biggest challenge, though we'll see how this all changes in light of COVID-19. I think it's going to be a whole new landscape once we come up for air, so to speak. But it figuring out how to get anything done has been, and, and I don't mean that negatively. I mean, I just, it is the reality. I think it's very, it's a really special thing that government protects us from someone who comes in and steamrolls with their ideas and changes the whole thing and then they're gone. I mean, there's a reason that government doesn't work that way. And it's to our city's benefit that government kind of says, hold on, slow down, go through the years and months, whatever it takes to get anything done. Um, but that's been my biggest challenge. I'm not a person that really likes to be told no, truthfully, um, as my husband will attest. Uh, <laughs> it's just not my thing. <laughs> Um, and I don't really believe in it. You know, I, I'm someone that's like, well, if that doesn't work for you, let's find some other way. And um, sometimes the answer has been no, or it's been not now, mm. and I can't tell you when, which to me is no. Mm. Um, and, and that's been hard. That's been a surprise because I believe in the force of my own will. So I think to sometimes slow down and acknowledge I am not in control of every single thing and sometimes my ideas it the time is not right for them and that's okay that's been just personally difficult and 
figuring out the levers of power, power, I use that in quotes, mm. the levers of getting things done is better, probably a better way of putting it. It being an outsider, you know, I had a little bit of a learning curve, um, not a little bit, a lot of it of a learning curve on that, where to apply quote unquote pressure, um, how to phrase things a particular way to see the outcome I want. It's just required a lot of a whole other language it's a whole other dance that I had never done before so it that's that part's been hard but I, I like to think that I'm a quick study and I'm now much more confident in you know understanding exactly who I need to talk to and how I need to talk to them to see the outcome that I want to achieve but I, I don't always get it right I mean you've seen me sometimes spectacularly fail at trying to bring my colleagues along with me or to say a certain thing and it's it's about reading the room and reading the people you're talking to and and for me ultimately thinking about what my goal is and the end goal being more important than my ego more important than me ever getting credit for anything or or needing something to be exactly in the shape or form that I dreamed it up it's the end goal that matters um and getting there is the fun part it's like a puzzle of putting it together so I've had to really find the beauty in doing that and the fun in doing it. You know, Santa Barbara's always had a, a strong legacy of female leaders. You know, we're on this run of female mayors. Uh, you're a young woman who was appointed to this seat and you weren't part of the sort of the political machine before that. What kind of challenges do you think you have to face or overcome being a young woman in politics in the context of talking to young women out there who may have these concerns about whether they want to get involved with, what are some of the challenges you've overcome specifically in that regard? Mm. And how do you, how do you do that? That's a really good question. And I think I personally have really, really benefited from those that have come before me, Mayor Mario included, who just exactly what you said, the female, the history of female leadership has has set me up so well to be taken seriously. So I I can tell that that has influenced the way that I'm perceived and the way that I'm received by both my colleagues and those that are on city staff and most importantly by my constituents. Um, age has been the bigger factor um, than my gender for sure. You know, I have the odd conversation where someone says, hey, it's funny. You say the same thing as your colleagues, but people seem to like when you say it more. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thanks. And they go, yeah, it's because you look good in a skirt. And I'm like, huh, okay. No, thank you. You know, so I get the Somebody odd. actually says that to you? Really? Wow. <laughs> I just kind of like, what do you say to that? Thank you. You know, I don't. So I have had the odd conversation like that. But generally, it's really not about that. It's, it's the age thing that's been really one of the most difficult factors to overcome. Even though you're an attorney and a Harvard graduate, there's an assumption that you're young and therefore you don't know as much as other people have been around? Is that? Yeah, or? and that's true. Yeah. And I think this is what I try, you know, I, some people come in here hot, you know what I mean? And they're so ready to rip me a new one. You don't know what you're doing. You've never been through what I've been through. You don't know anything. And I'm like, I agree. You know, I totally agree with you. And I think that's how I have been able to move forward with folks that are not so inclined to listen to someone who's 33, who has not lived 
the many years of life that they have is to just say, I to be open to them. And that's the advice that I would give to another young person, another woman who wants to take on a role like this is you have to be very centered in who you are so that when those conversations happen, you can be open to hearing from someone who's not inclined to be particularly generous about your perspective. And it, I'm not always good at it. You know, at the end of the, a long day when I've had 10 tough meetings with constituents where everybody's been, you know, hitting me hard on some, and this happens with some regularity and I missed lunch because I had a meeting. I haven't seen my kid that day. Someone comes in and says, you are way too young to be talking about this. You don't know anything about this. And I just go, you know, I, I'm, I get angry and yes. can be, you know, a little short with those people. But so I do try to take stock of where I am. You know, like when I get tired, I can't have those meetings because I just get way too snarky and short. Um, but for the most part, if you can center yourself and say, I need to be open to this person's feedback because there is going to be something in it that I can learn from. Even if I don't like the delivery, even if they're framing it in a way that is chafing against something in me, there's going to be something that I can learn from. And I, I think that's been hugely valuable to me. And the people that are not so inclined to take me seriously have often been, I think, disarmed by that approach. And we both have walked away thinking, wow, we've learned something. And that's really my goal with all of these meetings. And I would advise anyone who wants to sit in a city council office to say you just have to be open to everything, open to learning from everyone. Um, and I think part of that for me comes from growing up in Lompoc. I grew up, you know, it's a very conservative town. My family is very conservative. And politically, I'm just on the other side of the spectrum from them in a lot of ways, though I think I think they're more liberal than they share. Um, <laughs> my mom's going to listen to this and totally hate that. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that I really value about growing up in a context like that is I've learned from them that even when you have perspectives that are different or things that you don't necessarily agree on, there's going to be something you can take away from a conversation. And if you approach it on that level, then you'll be much better off and you'll be much more successful at reaching the end that it is that you really truly do care about. And so I, I credit my family for teaching me that because I haven't, you know, I'm the black sheep for sure, at least when it comes to our, our political orientations. <laughs> Did you have a military family at Lompoc? Yeah. My mom has four brothers, and they're all military people, and my grandpa was a military person. Okay. So they lived in Mission Hills when they were in high school, and then my mom, but she didn't join the military. But my extended family, super military, um, work on base. As My mom worked on base as a civilian. She's now um, in the school district. But, but yeah, so it, that's very much in the water. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate that. I think that's important perspective, and it's definitely taught me how to talk to people that are not on the same political wavelength as I am, and to see the good in people. You know, certainly there are some positions that people hold that I find just immoral, um, but for the most part, people are good people. And especially here in Santa Barbara, when they come with some intensity, it's usually because they feel frustrated and unheard. Mm. That's what I've, I've really learned. Where do you want to take the city? You know, what what are your goals? What do you want to do? And particularly right now, you're at a pivotal time. You're going to be part of helping to rebuild the city from COVID-19. What are some of your goals going 
forward the next several years? I would really like to see a city that works better for more people. And that's something that has driven me, that drove me to put my name in the ring when this whole thing began. It drives me every week. You know, a lot of my neighbors feel that the city does not work very well for them. And a big, big, big part of that, obviously, is the housing crisis. And I, people have said this for time in memorial. Like, I know everybody says this, but I think we're in a particular moment right now with COVID-19 where we can, not only can we and should we, but we absolutely have to think about what we want this city to look like physically and in terms of who has access to these spaces and and what do we want our city to look like? I mean, if you think back to the earthquake, that was a moment when we actually designed the city quite literally after that. And I think we're in a similar place. How do we wanna make the city work for its workers or do we, or do we not? Do we not care about that? And I think those are the kinds of conversations we're going to be having. The number one thing that we can and should do is figure out how to make our downtown core work better. It does not have to be a street full of shops. And in fact, I am almost sure that it will not be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, an economic development person. I'm not a designer. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I think that is where we have to focus all of our attention moving out of this pandemic because that, it is the spine of our city. It's the backbone of our city. And when that is not working well when it's really just uh, uh, going downhill. And that's a really generous way of putting it. I mean, it's been so tough. And I, I live there and I walk it every day, the four, five, 600 block of state. It's tough. We have got to figure out what we want it to be. And, and I think that's the question that we're looking at answering over the next few years. And I think in terms of what mark I would like to leave is it's pushing forward the creative ideas, whatever they are, and being open to thinking about that spine, that backbone in new ways, because we're gonna have to. Um, and I'm not scared of change at all. And I want our city to, to come around to that too, that change is not scary. Change is now inevitable. So let's put our heads together and figure out what we want that change to be. Well, Megan Harmon, I really appreciate you taking some time to to talk. It's been my pleasure. And you can find more podcasts like this at SantaBarbaraTalks.com. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, Josh. It's been awesome.